here's the deal. Uh, this is a, a common sentiment in kind of our Christian culture today is, is this. Like my relationship with God is between me and God and, and nobody else. And so just stay out of my way. Stay out of my business. I'll do what I want and you do what you want. And I don't need you and you don't need me. And I don't want you uh, getting involved in my spiritual life. Right? And that's kind of that's the common thinking process of just a lot of Americans. And, you know, I think that we, we find that so normal in America because that's kind of the mentality that we that we have anyway, right? Like, well, I'm not going to talk to you about my finances. We're private about those types of things. And I'm not going to talk to you about the problems in my life. And so we just kind of transfer that to the spiritual realm and say, my relationship with God is between me and nobody else. And what I do has no bearing on your life. So just butt out. But the Bible doesn't present that case at all. And if you look at the New Testament... And you look about what it says about Christians and how they should conduct themselves. There's all these statements that have been labeled the one another statements by people that write today. And it's all these statements about how Christians are to interact with one another. Let me just read some of them to you. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Greet one another, serve one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, confess your sins to one another, always seek after that which is good for one another. And so the New Testament, take the Bible seriously, presents something quite different than kind of the modern mentality that is, well, I do my thing and you do your thing and let's not interact. The the New Testament shows us that we have real responsibilities to other Christian people, if we are Christians, that our relationship with God, yes, it's an individual thing, but it's also a corporate thing, and it matters how we treat others, how we interact with other people who are Christians. And so the New Testament shows us that we have obligations to one another. There is a corporate aspect of our relationship with God. And and in our passage today, we are going to see that the way in which we interact with each other, whether we are honoring what God has told us to do or not, really affects the relationship that we have with God. If we are not living out our responsibilities to one another, then we cannot be in a correct relationship with God. And this is seen through two types of relationships in, in our passage today, which is Malachi three ten through 16. If you want to flip there, here's what it says. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Now he starts it off pretty simply. He says we all have one Father and we all have one Creator. And what he's doing is he's looking at this group of Jewish people and he's saying to the Jewish people, you all come from the same place. You have the same spiritual dad. You all have the same person, same being who created you. And the implication is that since you are already united in such a profound, amazing way, you should probably be united. But they don't seem to be united. Listen to Deuteronomy 32.6. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? You see, they're being disobedient in Deuteronomy to what God has had to say to them. And, and so God's looking at them and saying, hey, you people, you Israelites, you all have one father and one creator. You ought to respect him and live for him. Isaiah 64.8. Yet you, Lord, are our father... 
We are your clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. You see, the Jewish people knew this. They knew that God was their creator, and they knew that even more than any other nation on earth, God was like their father. I mean, he had, he had just adopted them as his children, and, and he had made them a nation, and he had made them a family, and they were his people. And so the Jewish people know that what Malachi is saying is absolutely true, that God is both their father and their creator, and that that makes their reunion relationship to one another unique now listen to what the new testament says because the new testament describes something very similar for christians it describes a unity that goes beyond you know like anything that that we have in common on an earthly sense or you know just trying to be nice to each other even uh, our blood that we might share with biological family it goes even beyond any of those things this type of unity that the new testament describes for christian now if you're not a christian then then you're not wrapped up in in, in this at all but but i tell you it's awesome to be wrapped up in it first corinthians 110 i appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our lord jesus christ that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought it's looking at christians and saying you should be united you should be connected you should be wrapped up in each other's lives galatians three twenty eight: there is neither jew nor gentile neither slave nor free nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then Colossians three twelve through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, talking to Christians, but it sounds like how God talks to the Israelites, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, and as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see, like, this is like a real unity, right? I mean, this is like, I want you to, to encourage one another, and I want you to, to push each other forward with wisdom and song and, and hymn and things like that. And I want you to, to have a relationship where you forgive each other and care about each other. and you, You're there for each other always. And this is the type of deal that God has given us when we become Christians. Now, for the Jewish people, it was similar, right? And what does God say? God says... That they are profaning. Now, the word profane is characterized by irreverence or contempt for God or sacred principles or things irreligious. And the Net Bible translates it this way, to make light of. And so it says that these Jewish people who have one God, one Father, one Creator, they have this relationship together, they are making light of the covenant. Now, we've talked about the covenant over the last three weeks because it comes up a lot in the book of Malachi. And that's simply this. God said, I will love you. You will be my people. Here's what I need you to do if you want to stay in that type of relationship with me. Gives them the Ten Commandments and all the other rules and says, you're going to live for me. And I am going to love you and take care of you. And that's the way it will be. And that's the covenant. And so th- this is interesting. Because he says, you are making light of that 
promised relationship that we have with one another. Now, here's the interesting part for us. If you're kind of a New Testament, if you know it and you're, you're a Christian, Hebrews 7.22 says about people who have come to Christianity, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. So Christians also are in a covenant relationship with the God of the universe. We have come into a relationship with him where he expects certain things from us, including how we treat one another. It needs to be good. It needs to be united. It needs to have an impact on each other. Now, here's how they are making light of. This is just so, just pay attention to this. This is how they are making light of their relationship with God. They are being unfaithful, first of all. Now, unfaithful is like the key word in the whole passage. They're being unfaithful to one another is what it says here. Unfaithful is said five times in just these seven verses right here that we're looking at today. And it's a word that just simply means to not handle, in, in the context, a relationship correctly. And so in all relationships, there's kind of a type of responsibility, right? In all of our relationships, there's some expectations. There's some ways that we're supposed to treat each other like in the New Testament. But you can see it in normal relationships, right? The way you treat a boss is different than you treat other people. There's some expectations, you know. There's some ways that you need to interact with them. The way that you treat a friend is different than a person that you don't know at all, right? Like if you're in a store and you see a friend and you don't say anything to them, then they're going to be like, what did I do? Why are they mad at me? This doesn't make sense. But you walk by a stranger and they don't think anything of it all. And so in all of our relationships, we have expectations, for one another, right? And, and and God says, you are making light of, this is just very fascinating, you are making light of the covenant, the promised relationship that I have with you and you have with me by not living out the expectations in the relationships that you have with each other. That's very interesting, right? I mean, we think like, oh, to break the covenant, you got to like, you got to break a Ten Commandment, you got to like kill somebody, right? Or you got to steal something. I and mean, that's breaking the covenant that we have with God. And he says, you're breaking the covenant, by not fulfilling the expectations for the relationship that I have for you with your fellow Israelites. Verse 11. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. First, notice the seriousness of, the, of this kind of verse here i mean detestable thing i mean this this word can mean an abomination repulsion an object with the, which is loathsome and abhorrent it's like bad right i mean these people are doing something god really thinks is bad it's not like hey you're kind of doing something wrong down there no these people are, are doing something that is repulsive in the eyes of God. And then it says that they are desecrating the sanctuary. This is a big deal. You don't want to desecrate the sanctuary. I mean, you probably don't want to desecrate anything, but really you don't want to desecrate the sanctuary. Let me tell you just a little bit about the sanctuary. It was the place that was the symbol of God's covenant love to the people. I mean, this is like their temple and the sanctuary. This is like where how they know God's presence is how they know that God is in a relationship with them. I mean, to just put it in kind of our terms, it's like me taking my wedding ring off and throwing it in the trash. That's kind of the idea here. It's like saying, hey, I don't care about the symbol of the relationship that I have with my wife. It was the place where the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, not like 
they're kind of like etched there. I mean, like the stones that the Ten Commandments are on, which was the contract between God and the Israelites. These are in the sanctuary. That's like a big deal, right? I mean, so like now, just to, to contemporary, make it a little bit more contemporary, it's like, it's like just making fun of where the, the, our Constitution in America sits. I mean, this is like, or the Declaration of Independence. I mean, this is like the document, and they're profaning this place. It is the place of God's worship. It is where all the Jewish people went to worship God. And it is the place of God's presence, as I alluded to. God loves the sanctuary it says you are doing something that's repulsive to me. What you are doing is you are you are desecrating my temple, a place that I love, my sanctuary. I'm like, how God? How? I mean, what are we doing? You know, I mean, I, I, we already heard about the animal sacrifices, but what else are we doing? I mean, what's happening? You are marrying the daughters. Of a foreign god. That's the literal translation. Women who worship a foreign god is how it's translated in the NIV. Now this was a big deal. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess. And drives out before you many nations. The Hittites, Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you. And you have defeated them. Then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. And show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons. Or take their daughters for your sons. For... This will be important in a second. They will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. That's pretty heavy, right? Warning right there. Do not intermarry, because if you do, I'll end up destroying you. Exodus thirty-four, twelve through 16. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Just, just if you're not paying attention. What God is saying to the Israelite community is, you are desecrating my sanctuary, my place of worship, the house of our covenant, the symbol of everything that is good about our relationship. You are desecrating that by doing one thing, marrying people who worship different gods. You are doing something that I specifically said you shouldn't, and you are doing something that is going to pull the nation away from me. Listen to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. It's, it's, if you've ever been in youth ministry, you've read it. It's well talked about. But here it is, verse 14 specifically. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Bilal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. This is what it's saying. Don't be yoked. It doesn't say we don't have friendships with unbelievers. It doesn't say that we, that we don't have 
relationships with the unbelievers in some ways, but the idea is this, that we are not supposed to have relationships with those who are not Christians that, that, are, that are intertwined like, a one with, like we'd have with a Christian. We're not supposed to be in a type of relationship where they have influence on our lives. Hopefully we're impacting them, but we're not supposed to have this type of relationship, a yoke between unbelievers and us if we are Christians. That's as clear as night and day. When you go back to the Old Testament, you really see the reasoning. I mean, here it says that, that how can they have anything in common? And that, isn't that a great question? I mean, and, and specifically this gets quoted about marriage a lot, but it can be a lot of other things. I would be very hesitant to have a business relationship uh, and be a partner with somebody in a business that isn't a Christian based on this passage. I think we need to be really careful in all kinds of relationships, but, but the, the most often people quoted about marriage, and I think that's important, and, and it's just interesting, right? I mean, people are always like, you know, we just have so much in common. But, but if you're a Christian and the person that you're dating does not, is not, then you don't have anything in common according to 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 16. You have nothing in common with them because the light lives in you, God, and it doesn't live in them. They are full of darkness. That's the truth of it. Now, now you go back to the Old Testament and you say, well, God gave us another reason that people should not marry somebody who worships a foreign God, and that is that they will pull you away from your relationship with God. And, and I, that's just, you see that. I mean, people who date non-Christians that are Christians, they don't generally draw that person closer to Jesus. They get pulled further away. That's just the way it works. Now, here, here is... What I, I mean, if we can superimpose kind of the New Testament back onto the Old Testament for a minute, you look at God and he's saying, look, you are desecrating my place of worship. And you are doing it by marrying people that are worshiping foreign gods. And you have to ask yourself, you do, is God just as appalled by the, by the marriage of a Christian person to a non-Christian today? And is he looking down and saying, you are destroying my worship by your marriage. A lot of you are married. Some of you aren't. But you're gonna, the ones that aren't, you're going to have a choice. And maybe you're dating somebody right now who's not a Christian. I don't know. But, but this is really, really important. It's easy to go, it's not a big deal. You know, I might lead them to Jesus. It's, it's just not even a thing. But, but if you're thinking about marrying somebody who's not a Christian, here's what you need to know. You are thinking about desecrating the worship of God. You are thinking about doing something that is appalling to God, that God abhors, that God thinks is disgusting. And you will desecrate the worship of God on this planet. It's just that clear. Just that clear. Now, if you're married to a non-Christian and you're a Christian right now and you're listening to me and think, whoa, do I got to get divorced or whatever? No. Uh, the New Testament makes clear that if you're already married to an unbeliever, then, then just stay married. Just keep going at it and do your best to win them over to Jesus. And so if you're already married, don't like, oh, I got to go. I got to get divorced papers. That's not good. Uh, stay married and do your best to win them over. But if you're not married, you have nothing in common with people who aren't Christians if you're a Christian. And you will desecrate the worship of God on the earth. Now, Verse 12, as for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob. 
even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altars with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them without pleasure from your hands. Now here's the deal. This just really shows us the seriousness of what God has said about marrying somebody who worships another God, which by the way, all non-Christians worship another God. It's probably the God of self. But but it shows the seriousness of that and it also, also shows the seriousness of what he's about to say. And, and there's two things. First of all, he says that, that if people continue to do this, he will remove them from the tents of Jacob. That is to say, I will kick you out of the nation. God is serious, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's serious. I mean, we don't, like in America, you think about that context. Like if somebody came, if a police officer came up to you and, and they said like, I'm going to, if you keep doing this, I'm kicking you out of the country. You say, wow, I'm not speeding anymore. You know, I'm not even like, I'm not even like kidnapping at this point. I'm doing something really bad. And so that's the first thing. I mean, God is very serious about what he's saying right here. This is not something he's taking lightly. He's saying, I will kick you out of this nation if you continue to act this way. And then the other part of this is that the people are coming and they're giving their offerings and they're crying even. They're super emotional and they're impassioned in their musical worship. They're saying, God, I love you and I need your help and please do something. God's going, no. I mean, given what, I mean, the two things, the, the marrying somebody who loves a, a non-God and what I'm about to say, I'm not accepting any words from you. I don't care how passionate you sound. I don't care how many tears you cry. I don't care how perfect the sacrifice seems. If you are not going to be obedient to me in these things, then I am not going to take from your hands the worship that you are so loudly proclaiming. People are like, oh man, we, I mean, this is the situation they're in. There's famine, there's sickness, and they're like, we really need God to do something. All right, somebody go to the altar, cry. You know, I mean, make God really think that you care about Him and that you love Him. God's saying, I'm not having any of it. If you can't be obedient in these two things, that has huge implications for us, does it not? I mean, I mean, you, we come here. I mean, the, the easiest example is to come here on a Sunday morning and you sing nice and loud. You know, you really get into it. And maybe your tears are falling and you're like, man, God, I'm into this today. I'm really, I'm getting after it for you. Aren't you satisfied? And the, the simple answer is no. Not if you are not treating relationships correctly outside of this place. Especially if you are... Married, going to marry a non-Christian, and what he says next. You ask why. I mean, God, why will you? Why are you not listening to what we're asking or what we're saying? You ask why. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful. There's that word to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. They say, why aren't you listening to us? Why are you not accepting our worship? And the answer is, plain and simply, you have not been faithful to the wife of your youth. Now, The word witness is a legal term. And so God is looking at them and he's saying, look, you are in a marriage which is described as a covenant in the Old Testament. That is a promise made in front of God between two people. And God is looking and God is saying, hey, I'm the witness here. 
that you are not living up to the covenant that you made with your spouse. Now, he speaks specifically to husbands, and there's a reason for that. Women had no right to be unfaithful to their husbands. I mean, they just would have been stoned or removed, put out of the city or whatever. But the passage is applicable to both men and women because in our current culture, women can be unfaithful to men just as easily as men can be unfaithful to women, right? We all understand that. And so he looks down, he said, look, I am the witness. I am the the person who is testifying against you. And what you are doing is you are being unfaithful to the wife of your youth, even though she is your partner and she's somebody that you entered into a contract with a marriage covenant now here's the deal our minds go to two places really fast because divorce is said in the next word and so immediately i think where we go in our heads is either to divorce right because this passage is most famous for talking about divorce and so we think well these people are all getting divorced the other thing that we jump to when we read the word unfaithful is adultery, right? I mean, we think these people are sleeping around and things like that. And those two things are very unfaithful. That's very clear. However, when we talk about a covenant between a man and a woman, I know that the covenant goes far beyond I won't divorce you. I mean, can you imagine if me and Bryn were about to do our vows and these are our vows, I, Chad, won't divorce you. And then Bryn on the other side, I, Bryn, won't divorce you. That would be hardly a promise, right? I mean, that would not be, we would not be like, wow, what love they share for each other. I mean, instead it sounds something like this. This is a declaration of intent. I, whoever, will take you, whoever, to be your wife, to live together following God's ordinance in the holiest state of marriage. I will love you, honor you, comfort you, and keep you in sickness and in health and prosperity and adversity, forsaking all others, keeping yourself only for her as long as we both shall live. Or the vows before our friends and those so special to us here on this wonderful day of gladness and good fortune. I, Chad, take you, Bryn, as my wife in friendship and in love and strength and weakness to share the good times and misfortune and achievement and failure to celebrate life with you forevermore. That's a lot bigger of a promise. These aren't our vows. These are vows from a wedding that I did. We should get our vows up. I don't remember what I promised. But... um, but these, it sounded something like that, I'm sure. Some of you were there. And, and, and here's the deal. We make these, these covenants in marriage. And part of it is to stay together till death do us part. Part of it is to forsake ourselves to all others except for our wives. That means to not commit adultery. But there's even more. I mean, to love and honor and respect and to do our best by someone. And and here's the deal. I mean, God's looking and he's saying, look, you are breaking the covenant that you have with your spouse. Even though God has made you one, Genesis 2, 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Jesus in Mark 10, 7 through 9 strengthens this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Matthew 5, 32. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery because the people are already married in God's eyes. That's the truth. And so here is what God is saying. He's saying, 
you are not getting your offerings accepted. You are not genuinely worshiping me because you are not fulfilling the promises that you made to your spouse. Whether through divorce, probably most pertinent to this passage of scripture, whether through adultery, whether through not living out the rest of the promises about love and honor and things like that. Now, none of us will be perfect, but we should all be trying to live out those promises that we've made to God. And, and if we don't, I mean, this, this is the thing. This is the thing. I think if you're a Christian, hopefully you want to worship God. But what God is saying is you cannot worship me. You cannot worship me in any way that matters if you are not doing your best to properly fulfill, to be faithful to the person that you're married to. Can't do it. Can't do it. You can talk about it all day. You can sing as loud as you want. You can cry when you're doing it. You can make great sacrifice, but you cannot please God with your worship until you have made a commitment to be as faithful as you can to your spouse. It's a big deal. That is a very very, very big deal. Now, the, the next verse is, is the most famous. Verse 16. And you've heard it like this. God hates divorce. That's how it's generally translated. Uh, NIV has taken a different approach. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. Now, it's, a, it's one of the toughest verses in all the Bible. And people have different opinions on how it should be translated and what it should say. And... But, but let's notice this. The, the key, the big point is God doesn't like divorce. I mean, God doesn't want people to get divorced. And, and the reason is kind of surprising. I mean, one, you're not being faithful to the promise. We already got that. But the other reason that he gives here is very fascinating. Uh, he, he says, because God desires godly offspring. Isn't that interesting? God desires godly offspring if you were to look back a few verses now what does this mean i think it means exactly what it says i think god wants people who have a relationship with him to have babies when they're able that grow up to live for him i think that's what god wants now here's here's the thing and then you know i mean kids that come from divorce can be very godly people i hope that I'm, i'm one of those but but the truth is Divorce, especially when you have somebody just being unfaithful, makes it more difficult for the child of that marriage to become the person that God wants them to be. It's very interesting to me. In about the mid-1980s, early 1980s, I guess, uh, Ronald Reagan, who was uh, in charge of California at the time, made a decision. He called it the worst of his career, but he said, hey, there's, let's make it so that nobody is, needs any fault in divorce. That's what he said. And, and soon every, every state was making that the same. They were saying, hey, let's, we, I mean, you get divorced. You don't need to give a reason. You don't need to say that there was adultery or anything like that. You go ahead and get divorced. And, and so now you look. It's just right before I was born. And you look at the state of spirituality, Christianity in America by people my age. As the divorce rate continued to rise and it's peaked now and it just stays right at about 50%. And, and, and you look at the spirituality of people my age, the state of Christianity, and you can't help but think that a rise in divorce caused people my age to give up on God. Has the divorce rate in our country produced ungodly children? And I, I see a connection. 
I see a big connection. And so, look, God's very serious here. It's very interesting. But what he's saying is that if you are not handling relationships correctly, now if that if you're a, a Christian person who, who looks at a non-Christian and says, I'm thinking about marrying you, then you're not handling that relationship correctly. If you are a married person who says, I am not going to be faithful to this marriage, whether I'm not going to love you, I'm not going to honor you, I'm not going to take care of you like I promised, I'm going to divorce you, I'm going to sleep with other people, whatever it might be. If you're not being faithful, then then you cannot worship God in a way that he respects and honors and cares about. And I think the same is true of not just romantic relationships, but I think that one of the bigger problems in the church today is that the one another's that I stated to you at the very beginning, I think that we are not taking those seriously. I mean, be at peace with one another. Sometimes we get that, but you see lots of churches that that peace is about the last word that, that you would use to describe them. Love one another. In the deepest sense, there's not a lot of that happening in churches today. Greet one another. We're good at that at our church, but we're not perfect. And, and a lot of churches, you can walk right in and nobody will ever know that you're there. Serve one another. Most Christians go to church to be served. Forgive one another. Man, the, the model today is that we just walk out of churches if we don't like somebody and we don't actually forgive them. Encourage one another. How often do you really just say, hey, I need to encourage somebody in their, their relationship with Jesus? Confess your sins to one another. Always seek after that which is good for one another. I think the model currently is like always seek after that which is good for me, right? And not for one another. And I look at this. And these relationships. And you you think about the Jewish people. They didn't ask for it. It's not like they were like, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have these rules. God said, this is the deal. And for Christian people, which I hope you are one, God has laid down the rules. When you enter into Christianity, you are entering into a covenant. There are expectations for you. That's the truth of it. And the expectations are there whether you like them or not. That's just how it is. God wants certain things from you. And one of the things that he wants from you is for you to have relationships with Christians where you live out the one another's. And I don't think that we can worship God fully, that we can please God 100% in our worship until we look at all of our relationships, especially our Christian relationships and our romantic relationships, and we say, I will do what God wants me to do because I love Him that much and I will fulfill this covenant. And when we do that, I think that God starts to respond to our prayers and to our worship and to, to just our requests for Him to move and to work in our midst. You see, we've lost it. Somewhere along the lines, we lost it. I mean, today, in my generation, you just marry whoever that you feel, whatever that thing is that people call love. You know, it really, it's like, it's, it's like a slight, it's lust slash I really like how this person treats me. It's lust and selfishness. It's the, the modern version of love is just lust and selfishness. I'm I, sorry to make you aware of that. Uh, it's not biblical at all, but that's all it is. It's you make me feel good about myself selfishness and i think you're good looking that's the general idea of love right but that's not what god is allowing and so so here's the deal if we are going to be people who worship god then we must look at our relationships the romantic ones and the christian ones and we must say what is it that god wants from me i'm going to live out the covenant in these relationships 
I will do my best to fulfill the one in others. I will do my best to fulfill my vows. And I will make sure that I don't marry non-believers because I really have nothing in common with them. I want them to become Christians. I love them. I do. I love non-Christians. But I don't have anything really in common with them. And so I will avoid marrying them. Look, Listen how it ends. And this is huge. This is huge. So, and this is a repeat, be on guard and do not be unfaithful. So be on guard. And I think, if anything, we just don't have our guard up. And, and it's like, well, Satan's really good at just coming in and like, just make them not like each other that much. Or just make them not think about how they are supposed to minister to one another. Just make them think about how they shouldn't get divorced. And so in 30 years, they'll look back and say, that was a miserable marriage. I don't fulfill any of my vows except for the death do you part part. Double part. And it's time. I really think, I really think uh, you look at the state of the church in America and it's pretty bad. And, and I don't think it's bad because we, we need a new model of church. I don't think it's bad because, because we have to be more culturally relevant. I think that a big part of why it is bad is that we have not been faithful about the relationships that we have. We have not been faithful to each other or maybe most importantly, to God in how we interact with each other. You see, if you are going to worship God, then you must be faithful in your relationships. You have to be. And this idea that, that we can create these worship experiences and, and, and things like that, that, apart from us being like a real church where we love and care and devote ourselves to one another, that, that's false. It can't happen. And so my, here's my encouragement for you. This is, this is your homework. This is what I hope from you. I just go home after church today, not right now. Go home, and I want you to, to do one of two things. If you're married, I want you to try to remember your vows or find some vows online that aren't super new agey because there's some weird ones. But, but find some vows. I, I know somebody. I know somebody who knows somebody who had in, until we fall out of love in their, in their uh, vows. So... Don't find those vows. Uh, find some good Christian vows. It's easy to find on Google. And, and ask yourself, am I living this out in my marriage? Okay? So that's homework for some of you if you're married. If you're not married and you're dating a non-Christian, I want you to go home and I want you to break up with whoever it is. That's your homework. It's worse, I know. If you're not married and you're not dating a non-Christian, then this is your homework. Go home. Look at the Bible. Look how it describes Christian relationship. And, and then... Do something based on that. Make a change in a relationship. Maybe it's offering forgiveness to somebody. Maybe it's calling somebody up to offer encouragement. Maybe it's just saying, I'm going to love these people more in my, in my spirit and really be a person of, of love. Those are your three sets of homework. And, and if you're not a Christian, this is what I want you to know. This is, this is, this is it. Because it's been mainly kind of to Christians. And if you're not one, you're like, this is a dumb sermon. And usually I, I try to preach to you too, but this passage just kind of kind of went towards Christians, but here's the deal. I wouldn't trade what you have in your relationships for what I get in the covenant that I have with God in my relationship. 
Because when the one and others are genuinely lived out, and, and, and when the marriage covenant that I have between God and my wife, and, and we're all connected, when that is lived out the way that it's supposed to be, it is far better than anything you can know apart from Christ. And so here, here's just in... 10 seconds what I want you to hear and that is while I have expectations and obligations in my relationship I wouldn't trade them for the relationships that can happen apart from Christ and if you want genuine love and forgiveness and respect and encouragement then the only place you're going to find it is through a relationship with Jesus that draws you into a relationship with others the relationships that I have in this church are not perfect but they are awesome I love people here and it's because we live out these one another's in our relationship. And so I encourage you to, to, to just explore Jesus and know him so that you can have that type of love, that type of forgiveness, that type of encouragement in your life too. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, I'm just uh, sorry that, that for how often I don't live out the finer points of the relationship that I have with Bryn, the covenant that I have with Bryn. And... Um, I generally always love her, uh, but I don't always honor her, God, in the way that I act. And, and so uh, I just pray you'd forgive me for that. And, and Lord, I pray for the people who sit in front of me. And I ask that, uh, that Lord, you would, um, that you would just draw them to a place where they take seriously the relationships that they have and they live out your expectations for them. And, and God, let our guards get up, God. Let us be on guard because relationships seem, God, uh, to deteriorate if we are not taking them seriously. And so let us not just sit around saying, well, I hope this marriage or this friendship gets better. I hope they break up with me or whatever it might be. But let us, God, be proactive in saying, I'm going to do my absolute best to have the types of relationships that the, the living God has called me to do to. And I'm always going to remember that, that you, God, are our creator and our father. And that means that we ought to just live differently when it comes to how we treat each other. Lord, uh, thank you for being so good to us, and I thank you that we can have a relationship with you through the cross, Lord, and we just love you, Lord. Those of us who are Christians, we love you, and I, I pray for those who don't know you, and I pray that they would come to you, and they would find you, and find just really the, the type of depth in relationship that I know they're looking for. Ask these things in your name. Amen.